Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. One of the biggest things that we like to talk about is you, the listener. And the cool thing about you, the listener, is you're a big bag of chemicals and there's lots of weird stuff going on and we always second-guess ourselves with our decisions about money. We second-guess ourselves with our decisions about our life. It might be your job, your career, your relationship. All these things are happening in this weird way in our mind and we're supposed to live our life like normal humans and like everything's okay. And it's okay if it's not okay. And that's why today we're going to talk about it. So today I'm joined by Dr. Lily Sussman, who has a PhD from, get this, Harvard University. Wow, right? Anyway, she's the Chief Strategy Officer at Wiser. And we're talking about psychology and money and you today. But we're also touching on this app called Wiser Today. And we're going to get into the weeds of the app and also talk about you, your life, your money, the psychology of money and all the cool stuff. Search Wiser Today to download on the Google Play or App Store and use My Money 22 to get two months free. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can look later, but let's get on to this chat. Let's get it into your ears right now. First and foremost, Lily, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am beautiful. Thank you so much for having me on. This is my favorite thing to talk about, financial health, money and psychology, real life stuff. Okay, Lily. So you know that I put into the Facebook group uh, a call out for any questions just around money, around psychology, any of the things. First and foremost, I want to set the scene of today's episode just for the listener. I want to talk about money issues for people. And then we're going to talk about the app that you've kind of spearheaded the last couple of years. And you can tell us all about that history. And then you've got a quite unique history yourself and your own user experience of life, as I like to call it. And we might come back and do just a bit of a bonus after party as a genuine human interest. I'm interested in hearing about your story. But first... Can you just set the scene with your own career history? Like what was your doctorate in? What did you study? What's your passion? All that good stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I have a PhD in international relations and it's around decision-making actually. And um, I've done so many different things in my life. You know, I'm a mom. I was a former academic. I have worked in lots of different industries. I was the... Chief Strategy Officer at Social Ventures Australia, a really amazing not-for-profit here in Australia working to reduce social disadvantage. And now I'm in the tech sector 
because I'm extremely passionate about the brain and mental health and building a revolution in our society so that we can all understand what we need and how to thrive more. And we can use technology to do that. So I think we've started with money and psychology because money is such a source wound for so many of us. And it's so, so deeply misunderstood in light of the science of the brain. And that's what I'm super passionate about. So I can't wait to address all the um, amazing commentary that's come in, people's questions. I think money and psychology, it's really just a chat about life. Yeah, and that's kind of like you talked about like the decision-making thing there, right? Like I wonder how many decisions, and you might know from your research work and whatnot, but like the human person, like we would make hundreds of decisions a day, right? And some of those decisions are almost habit, but there's a lot going on. And like at the start where I talked about, we've got this wild stuff going on, but we've still got to live a functional life and keep the wheels on where possible, right? Oh, absolutely. Our brain is evolved to be uh, very adaptive to the environment that we're in. And certainly we make just so many decisions every day. Most of them are and have to be on autopilot because the brain has to conserve energy. You cannot make a fresh decision on every little thing all the time. So the brain is designed to put things on autopilot, which is why so many of our money habits are on autopilot. It's actually designed to be that way. But whether or not those autopilot habits that we have are actually helping us, that's what we get to decide. So if we want to change an autopilot habit, we can, but we just are not going to do it naturally because that's not what the brain will naturally do if you leave it alone. Yeah, because I like for my own financial life, I like to run things on autopilot as much as possible. And I've talked about like uh, particularly around the finances, having these guideposts in your life around rules around your own money. So if you get the heebie-jeebies and you're at the shop and there's something that's $900, well, well, I, can't, I, I don't even need to go there because I've automatically set this threshold that I don't spend more than $500, for example, without sleeping on it. So it's kind of like an external checkpoint that removes me from having to get into the weeds and making these emotional financial decisions, right? So this is why I, this is all fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. But you developed that rule for yourself and now that rule is internalized. It is a bit of a habit for you, that rule, right? But if you didn't have that rule, how do you get there? You know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to tell myself I have this rule one time and then I'm going to remember it from henceforth onward because that's not how your brain's going to work. So because this podcast is for everyone who listens, let's bring them in on the conversation. So I'm just going to punch through these questions, Lily. And the first batch of questions are around uh, personal nature and spending and money mindset and all that. Then we might have a quick break and come back and then talk about the app and the project uh, in some detail. Sarah Moore asks, tips for overcoming spending guilt. Now, this is huge for those who might identify more on the saver spectrum that they feel guilty when they spend money. For me, I'm a recovering spender. So there's no guilt at all if I spend, right? So for Sarah, she may be considered a saver. Do you have any tips from your research and even you as a person and what you've done with your own money in life of what Sarah could maybe work on and and start to remove that spending guilt? Yeah. You know, well, first of all, I just want to say, if you've got a human brain, you're going to have guilt. 
Because even if the guilt is about something else, you know, some other behavior that you might regret that didn't involve spending, it's a very familiar feeling that we all have. Like sometimes we regret things we do. We've got to normalize that. You know, guilt is normal. And it's not something to feel extra bad about, right? It just is a part of life. But the question is, why did it happen? You know, it's really interesting to ask the question, well, why am I feeling guilty? Because if you investigate that, it's actually easier to be compassionate and understand why you did it once you've kind of got some insight. And so I very much have guilt as myself, right? I realize I do this thing. I've got mom guilt. Right. <laughs> I've got a daughter. I've got an eight-year-old daughter. And I often think, oh, I'm so busy. I feel like uh, I'm not around enough or maybe I don't have enough energy. I'm not giving it you know, enough on a daily basis to my daughter. And so she asked me a couple of weeks ago for a special mummy day. And we decided, I said, okay, yeah, that would be amazing. Okay, let's go away for the weekend. I really want to make it really good for her, have this quality time and make really great memories. So you know, my self-talk, I'm saying to myself, okay, we deserve this weekend. I'm I'm not going to worry about money this weekend. We're, mm. we're just not going to worry about money. We're going to throw money at this. We're going to make it as fun as possible because this weekend's really important. And then what happened was I found myself way overspending. Like I'm, and, and it's not about the money, but it's just like I'm doing things like I was like, oh, why don't you have an extra milkshake? You know, let's have dessert too. And I'm buying stuff to make it fun. I'm trying to make it fun. Mm. And I feeling more stressed afterwards. And even sometimes in the moment, I've got that twinge of guilt because I already realized that I've gone to excess. You know, so how common is it knowing that you're overspending? It's so common. But in your moment, it feels like it's a runaway train. And it's kind of like, oh, I'll just deal with this later. It's easier if I deal with this later. And this happens to me and and so many of us in some way all the time, right? Mm. But you know, instead of feeling guilty and then beating up on myself, I, I'm asking, well, why, why did I do that? What was the underlying need? What were the thoughts and emotions behind my ordering extra milkshakes and desserts and buying treats and, and even pushing stuff on her to try and be happy together? I mean, and when I think about that, I said, well, what's behind it? I think it's the fear that we wouldn't have a good enough time if just the two of us were together. You know, the fear that my presence just being with her maybe isn't enough. I have to make up for something. I have to atone or, or I need extra credit to help her feel loved enough or happy enough to be with me. And when I realize that that's my fear, I, I'm like, oh my God, the thing I'm trying to solve for, the real need, it's love and connection with my daughter. And cotton candy and milkshakes and going to the movies, that is not the path. And certainly not the only path, you know, could I, could I find a different path? Like, could I follow her lead instead? And maybe what she wants to do is sing and dance around the living room or have a pillow yeah. fight or just have a big cuddle or, you know, do something silly together. And then I can actually share more about my life with her and, and really talk and vice versa. Yeah. So for Sarah, like the spending guilt are we saying like if we find what we actually value and there is less chance of spending guilt if we're spending money on stuff that we actually value, uh, which might not remove all the guilt, but is it something we've got to learn and teach ourselves that, hey, I value this, I go to work, I earn money, it's actually okay to spend my money on something that I value? First of all, money is just a resource to help you live the life that you want. 
So never feel bad about spending money because money is not the objective. But what you're feeling bad about is that you've spent a resource on something that isn't really solving for your real need. And then you feel worse afterwards, right? I had to realize that, of course, my needs for love and connection with my daughter are really valid. Those are really important needs. It's just that the way that I was fulfilling it, which happened to require the use of money, actually wasn't filling that need in a good way. And that's why I had the guilt because I'm spending and it feels wrong and it's not meeting that emotional need. So I think instead of beating myself up for that or beating yourself up for overspending, you've got to realize you're probably overspending because there's a need that is there that's valid, that's real, that's an emotional need. You know, is it belonging? Is it connection? Is it comfort? What is it? And is the spent, whatever you're spending on, is that the best way? And it probably isn't because guilt is a little bit of a telltale sign that maybe it's actually not the thing that's meeting your needs. And Mm. that would make a ton of sense because we're wired for, you know, instant relief and instant gratification. So if we've got a need, we've got some, an emotion that's uncomfortable, we're bored or, you know, any kind of emotion that is uncomfortable and we'd love to avoid, we go straight to instant relief. That's what the brain does, right? Mm. And that instant relief, the thing you're reaching for might last for as long as you're engaging in that specific thing. Like it feels good while I'm online shopping, I feel useful. But then right after I close the shopping app, the guilt starts creeping in because the instant relief is not a long lasting solution. It's not the real solution to the underlying problem. Yeah, absolutely. Before we started recording, we were talking about how I was a a bit of a pragmatist and if I could flick to my pragmatist switch for Sarah, like it it could be a problem if you do not have an emergency fund, you do not have a a systemized budget, you don't have your quote-unquote financial house in order and, oh, I've just spent $200 on a luxury when I've got an electricity bill that's overdue. So I think you need to fall back on knowing that you've set your financial life up as best as possible. And that might be having an emergency fund. And if I do have a proclivity to feel guilty, maybe we have a little bit higher of an emergency fund. So we do have that buffer. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. And it'd be wonderful if we all had emergency funds, you know, Mm. but it's not that easy because precisely because we're spending for reasons and it's, You know, you can't just wave them for someone that doesn't have an emergency fund, which is very, so many of us, you know, would love to wave a wand and say, let's just build up an emergency fund. But Mm. it's not easy to do because that requires changing habits and you can't change habits because your habits are on autopilot unless you do it very intentionally and work with the science of the brain, which, you know, we've all got. That's what we're all about, right? Yeah. That's why we're here today. That's what it's all about. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Love it. Shannon Barnes asks, any tips on how to develop slash encourage a positive mindset when your close relationships or households have limiting or negative beliefs around money? Wow, that's a big one. Yeah. Oh, that's such an important question. So the problem we set out to solve is financial health, yep. which is so important in all of our lives. And it is not about money. It is about whether or not the you know we're we're able to use this resource in a way that actually supports our happiness. So the Wiser Today app, which we'll get into, exists to help people figure out money, and it's really about everyday habits and how our brains and psychology work, right? 
But while we're trying to understand this challenge of money stress and how to manage money in real life, we did uh, almost a year of user testing. And in the process, it just came up again and again that having relationships or people in your household that are not on the same page with us about money is extremely common, and especially in a lot of our relationships with our partners. And that's actually a challenge for us on two levels. One level is how that affects you and your support for changes you might want to make or things you want to do, you know, with money or your life, but you feel, you know, it's going to be undermined because, you know, your partner doesn't agree. And the second level is actually, if you guys don't agree, it affects the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And that also affects your well-being. And it's very tricky to communicate effectively on issues, especially taboo issues like money, and work out how to move forward together. And so we've realized that is a real, real problem and one that is really worth solving. And so we've developed specific coaching for this on relationships. And how do you start approaching a conversation about money? How do you communicate in an effective way so that you can try to get to the other side together with your partner? And we've deliberately made Wiser Today free for you to invite your partner, precisely because our users have told us how important it is, you know, as a part of their experience moving forward with their money. But the answer isn't money, right? The answer is communication and figuring out your values and going through a process yourself in a way where you can more effectively approach it with the other person and then being given the guidance on exactly how to approach conversations with the other person and using psychology and having sort of support to develop the right language around it so that these conversations are a lot more constructive and easier. And you kind of work step by step through those communication challenges. And then over time, you can, you know, gradually move on to the same page and it makes it so much easier. And through the process, learning about your own values and your goals makes everything clearer and easier. You know, this swirl of like, oh my gosh, I'm not on the same page and this is stressful. That swirl can bit by bit kind of melt away. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. And I might come back around and talk about the um, the app and the partner side of it with that access to bring your partner on the journey. Because what I've learned, not from you know being in a long-term marriage of 45 years or anything like that, but I've learned just by talking with other people that it's actually really hard to push a rope, but the invitation could always be there. It's like, hey, I'm doing this uh, new thing with my money. I don't expect you to be at the same uh, passion level as me with my personal finance. But hey, if you want to just jump in and have a look over and maybe try it yourself, we've got access to do that. So yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to the the app part. But there's a question from Catherine Mack. How does knowing if you are a saver or a spender help you with your money mindset? Because I often, you know, joke and we we have uh, earlier in the episode that, you know, I'm a recovering spender all that stuff. It's easy for me to spend money. I don't feel guilty spending money. Uh, whereas Sarah has some guilt when spending money. Like, does it actually matter to to do a little profile of your own natural proclivity? Or if it's all good and you don't care and you're living your life, just get on with it? Uh, you know, I think you mentioned the words saver or spender, right? Mm. And and is it like is it important to label yourself one or the other or is it helpful to know if you're one or the other? And well, 
I think it's actually extremely important to notice your self-talk because if you've got labels for yourself, and we all do, right? We all have self-talk. The question is, what is the language that is popping up in your head when you're thinking about yourself, when you describe yourself? Because labels matter a lot because negative labels can keep us stuck. They kind of sap our motivation. Like if you're saying, I'm a spender, like what is, what's the feeling that creates in your body for you? Do you feel like I'm just going to throw out my hands and feel like, you know what, whatever, this is just what I'm destined to be. Like I can't change, you know? Or likewise, if you're labeling yourself a saver and you're saying to yourself, you know, I don't spend on self-care or I don't really think about investing myself as the biggest asset in my life because I'm a saver. I tend to have trouble spending money. I just, I'm more comfortable putting it all away. Mm. If a label of yourself, calling yourself saver or spender stops us from being nuanced or asking questions about our real values, which are not about saving and spending. They're not about money because real values are things like creativity, courage, love, growth, you know, personal values. Then the label, the thought is just something that may or may not be helping our brain to get where we want to go. And this is no different from many other things every day, which may or may not be helping our brains right? Like what we say to ourselves, self-talk is, is not different from other things that affect our um, chemicals. You know, you described as a bag of chemicals, yeah. but like imagine, you know, you have an alarm clock that wakes you up in the morning, right? But it's really loud and blaring. So you wake up all stressed because it's just sending stress chemicals into your brain, right? That is not different from you having a label and a self-talk word that maybe is giving you stress chemicals, you know, not making you feel good. So self-talk actually does matter, but not in trying to divine whether you're a saver or spender. It's more about getting curious about self-talk generally and, and getting educated about your own brain and starting to notice and train it to notice your self-talk and your labels mm-hmm. and then your autopilot habits and once you start noticing those, you get a lot of insight into the thought and emotions that are popping up. And that is what can be extremely helpful for your money, but more importantly, your psychology, developing your money mindset that's not black and white labels, but in a more nuanced like way that actually helps you feel better emotionally day to day. So you can have self-talk a bit more fit for your values in your life, but if you start training your brain to start noticing that. And if I can make an observation, just like after you've talked about that self-talk and the whole spender and saver thing, like for me, the more that I learn about this and and we asked our community in our uh, census that's currently live, if they do identify as a spender or saver, I mean, sure, there's a blend, um, you know, everything. life's gray, right? It's not actually black and white. But for me, I've just got a a natural proclivity not to save money. And for others, they find it really easy. But when push comes to shove, like I was recently in LA, right? And we're in Beverly Hills Rodeo Drive. The money's not the problem in my life. I went into, you know, all the high-end stores and all that and... Like, I don't need to spend $1,000 on a pair of Gucci sneakers. Like, like it's at that point, it's not about the money. Like, I just don't value that. I've got, I've got like $90 white Adidas leather sneakers. Like, that will do me. That's okay. And 
I think it is more identifying what do you value. And the whole spender or saver thing, you know, Lily, I've resolved that I'm terrible at saving. So I've had to retrain myself um, to be just better at investing. So, you know, if, if I've got money in my account, it will grow legs week on week just at the shops, at the cafes and all that. I'm still a terrible saver, but I'm actually a better investor. And I understand that once money's committed to investing for my future, I don't need to draw that down out of the investment account. So I think the whole thing that, you know, knowing your natural proclivity, awesome, but you need to label yourself as I'm a human being with emotion and with values and with money. And how do we make values, money and emotion all work together? That's it. That's it. How do you? Right. It's, it's, I think it's uh, beautiful that you found a way of aligning your money to your values. And really, it's not about your money. It's like what, what you are using the money for, aligning that stuff in your life to your values. And that's amazing, you know. But I think, I imagine you've gone through a process of doing that. And that doesn't come naturally to us. And so we need a bit of help sometimes. And we deserve that because our brains aren't naturally designed to see clearly into itself. Well, do you want to talk about your app? Yeah. I mean, it's not my app, right? <laughs> but it's, well, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we've worked really, really hard on for the last couple of years to bring to the market. And it's a, we think it's a global first and we're really excited about it. But, you know, we care about it because we're mission driven, you know, so I work for Wiser. We're a purpose-led company, and our purpose is financial wellness, otherwise known as financial health. And because we're a purpose-led company, it means that we exist to try to solve this puzzle of financial health. And and what is it? You know, what we saw is that money is this very persistent and unsolved issue in our lives. And there's all this data and research showing that half of Australians are regularly stressed out about money, and many of us privately. And the Australian Psychology Association has said that it's the top stressor for Australians. And it's a societal problem. And this is even before the cost of living rises recently, which is, you know, creating a lot more problems for most of us. And we just wanted to know what is it all about? Why are we so stressed and what's the solution? You know, because I imagine you know, it's so common. We've all had the thought of, oh, you know, the solution is more money. Like if I just had more money, I'd be less stressed. But... Then we saw the confounding thing is research says even those people who have high incomes are still stressed and it's still really easy to feel like you don't have financial health. And there's, there's so much research showing that it's our habits and not our income that's the best predictor of our financial health. And certainly it is not what financial products we have or use. So it's habits and behavior that's at the very heart of money and this this need for financial health. But how are we solving for habits and behavior? You know, how are we helping the millions of us to improve our money through the real way that matters, which is improving our habits and behavior and the real root cause behind habits and behavior, which is what's going on in our brains and bodies, our psychology, where our habits stem from. Mm. And so the research measuring financial health at a population level is pointing out that how we use our money, you know, our money behaviors and the relationship we have money matters more than the stuff that the entire financial industry is working on, which is financial products and services like accounts and loans and stuff that's squarely about dollars and cents, which is important, but it's not about behavior and psychology in the brain. 
And so we just saw this huge societal problem that so many of us experience and this obvious gap that nobody is really effectively solving. And once we realize that money, behavior, and habits is the biggest driver of true well-being and financial health, then we're like, okay, well, let's try and solve that one, right? Let's use science, let's dive into the research, and let's understand where habits and behavior comes from and what we can do about it. And so we built this app, and Wiser Today is the first money app that uses psychology to help improve our money habits and finances using the science and specifically the science of the brain and behavior change. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is taken proven interventions in behavior science and then adapt them and apply them to money. And we created an interactive kind of mini coaching experience that only takes five minutes a day. So it's an app you use five minutes a day, and it's kind of like a digital personal trainer in your pocket. And it helps you rewire your habits and your psychology and improve your money in the genuine way. And it helps you save and helps you solve the root causes of your money challenges. And the app, using it, you know, it'll take you on a journey with the daily bite-sized lessons in five minutes a day, gets your reflections, gets you thinking. There's all kinds of activities, a tracker for a specific habit that you'll work on because we'll work on one habit at a time. And it will help you become more aware of the spending behaviors without judgment with only positive reinforcement. And okay. what we've heard is our users that have used the app, they do so typically during their morning coffee or on the way to work or as part of a daily routine. And they see it as a couple minutes of self-reflection and self-care in an otherwise busy day. And mm. the effect of it, because it's designed to focus on habits and behavior and psychology, first of all, it's way way cheaper than a financial planner or a psychologist, and it's with you every day and guides you to make sustainable progress. But it starts to help you move forward in a way that feels good and feels empowering along the way. Yeah. And people have started saving a lot of money. Yeah, know? like your uh, your original study, there was close to $400 um, that people saved just by using the app. What was the stat around that? Yeah, it, it was um, on average 47 weeks of beta testing. Our users saved on average $377 a week on average. Jeez. A week. And people were like, I don't have that kind I, of money. I thought that was a year. No, 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 no. It's a week because we think we don't have that kind of money. But this is an average stat, right? Yeah. Um, and there's everyday habits that we work on. But in a mm. science-based way, so you're not overwhelmed, so you're not, you know, cr the equivalent of crash dieting, which works for no one, um, you know, it's bit by bit sort of incremental change that feels good. So you make it sustainable. So you do the kind of daily habits and, you know, very popular habits people work on are like takeaway, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, too many Uber Eats. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make me happy. Or um, mindlessly, you know, buying a lot of coffees and snacks or, you know, online shopping without even realizing it, you know, and, and lots of common things like that. Hey, can we ask and answer some listener questions specifically around the app? Of course. All right. Well, we'll take a break and I'll share with you a promo code that will give you two months at no cost to really get into the app and give it a try because it is a paid app. And I've got another question around that as well, but we'll be back right after this. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we're back. It's paid app and the promo code, if you want to try the app, two months free is mymoney 22 and we'll put a link in the show notes if you're in your car so you can jump back in later and all that stuff. So uh, that's really cool. Lily, there's a question here and I will explain to everyone uh, what my, I'll say reservations around promoting the Wiser app uh, because I did try it myself and because I'm a, I have a healthy level of skepticism in my life and I'll share with you my kind of where I've arrived and why I think this is a great tool. But there's a question here from Nicole Emmeline. Who is the target audience? I have a teen who is approaching adulthood who is looking at getting their first retail job. Is this going to be suitable for a young person just starting out on their journey who hasn't formed any habits yet? Or are you trying to renovate a Glenn James who's knocking on... um, 39 years on the planet? It's a good question, Nicole. So the audience that we've found is primarily people who want to improve their money because who's looking to sort out their money? Who who has a goal they wouldn't mind achieving faster? Who actually cares enough to do something about that? And in our testing, the demographic is typically people in their 20s through to their 50s because that's when we're adulting. And we're navigating life's challenges and having a good relationship with money becomes more and more important. So it hasn't been designed specifically for teens. But everybody has habits. So the minute you're managing money, whether it's your money or your parents' money, if you're a teen, you're doing stuff with it, right? So you are forming habits. So this app should be relevant to you. And I think the best way is just try it for free. You know, use the free trial period and see if it's going to be helpful for you and then make a decision. Yeah. There's a question here from Jonathan and he's actually a psychologist and I've had him on the podcast before. Uh, And Jono, if you ever want to jump back on and do another episode around 
um, you know, the gambling and drinking and all that stuff that's your wheelhouse, just flick me a message because we're about overdue for that. But Jonathan said, the video states that it's interactive. Who would I be interacting with? A psychologist, a bot, a counselor. So just talk us through the mechanics of uh, the interaction with our responses. Uh, Because when I've opened the app, there was a heap of questions and it really is learning as much as possible about me and what my money goals were. So what's the interaction? Yeah, good question. So the app is built on cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, neurobiology, and the science of spending and behavior change. So lots of different bodies of research that we're bringing together. And the experience is interactive in that you're reading. So it's daily bite-sized lessons. It's five minutes, right? Five minutes a day. And so you're reading stuff, you're reflecting, you're being asked things, you're doing little quizzes, you're typing in your thoughts, you're going through exercises. And the interactivity and the coaching language have been developed by clinical psychologists that we work with, as well as other behavioral scientists and academics. And we've digitized the money and psychology coaching so that it is bite-sized because we don't have more, you know, we don't have more than five minutes a day. For stuff like nobody has 30 minutes a day to work on their money or themselves, you know, but we've got five minutes a day. Yeah. And so there's not a live human at the other end of it, if that's a question, responding to everything you say, because that's not affordable or scalable. And the app is designed so that it's not necessary. Instead, we've designed a lot of pre-programming that recognizes patterns in the way people talk and think about money. And users still tell us it feels like a customized experience. So the goal is to use tech and UX design to make that interaction easy and fun and lighthearted. And that's critical because your five minutes on the app needs to be an enjoyable and healthy routine. Like it has to feel a sense of, you know, give you a sense of accomplishment and feel like a positive thing that you're doing that gives you a boost for the day, as opposed to something you have to do. Because behavior change doesn't succeed when it's shooting. You know, when it's like, oh, I have to, then it doesn't feel good and you're not going to keep it up. So it's got to feel good. So it's very important that the app is designed and the five minutes a day is designed to feel good. And it's about rewiring habits one by one in the process of doing it in a positive way and feeling good and getting positive reinforcement. Mm. And so not only am I, you know, using it over time and feeling better, but I've also used it and I've made a lot of personal profit and saved a lot more because I am now only spending in a way that's actually more aligned to my values and I'm able to kind of rewire habits that aren't serving me. Mm. And we're not saying that you stop going to use psychologist or counseling appointments. We're not saying this is replacing um, therapy in the real world. This is just a tool that you can plug in to help craft and refine some of your spending habits, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, the app exists to help people figure out money, which is about everyday habits and how our brains and psychology work every day. And, you know, it's not a replacement for therapy because therapy, like we're massive fans of investing in your mental health, right? And if you're dealing with trickier things like clinical depression or really essential bigger topics like developmental trauma and you need that extra level of support, that's, you've, you know, go and, and, and search for that too. It's an amazing investment in yourself. You know, this can be a great complement to that. 
And this can actually be a way that you're able to find the money to pay for that because this app will help you save and improve your psychology while you're doing it. You know, likewise, we're not financial planners, but you might be able to afford a financial planner after using this app for a year if you still want even more personalized planning. You know, this app is meant to be the starting point for Aussies who want to improve their money. And the savings that you're going to make from using this app should get you closer to a whole range of your goals and help you get closer and more clear on what matters to you, how your brain in particular works. And you'll have that clarity and that extra money to live life more on your terms and have these choices on what other types of support, whether it's financial planner or psychologist or whoever else you want as you continue your life journey. I don't have it off the top of my head, but how much is it per month or per year? So it's three eighty a week, which is less than the price of a coffee. So an annual. I thought you, I thought you said three hundred and eighty dollars a week. Oh no 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 three dollars eighty cents. No no no. <laughs> I was like, um, I don't know if uh, you guys got the memo, but we're uh, not putting this episode up if it's three hundred and eighty dollars a week. <laughs> no way. We we. I mean. What would we be smoking? What would yeah. anyone be? No, I don't know, no, but give me some. No, it's got to be affordable, right? It's yeah. got to be affordable. So you can do an annual subscription or you can do monthly. Yeah. So monthly is $29 a month, but you know, there's free trial period for everybody. This mm. community will get two months free to try it. So try it, try it. You know, what we've seen is users start saving money. And then they said, you know, initially I was really skeptical about this app because it's like, why are you charging me to help me save? doesn't make sense. But then I start using it. I'm like, oh my God, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. And I'm saving a lot more. Thank you. Yeah. And, that, and that's and that's why people like, oh, I'm not paying a real estate agent to manage my investment property. I'm like, well, you'll probably get more rent anyway and make your life easier. But that's just a comment. And we're not saying that you use the app and you're committed to it forevermore. Amen. Like you might use it for 12 months, six months, get the results you need and outgrow it, right? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we'd love it if you've gotten to a point where like, you're like, I have achieved my goals. Mm. I feel really happy about the role of money in my life. I'm really content with it. It's not a source of stress for me at all anymore. That would be incredible. Then we've accomplished our mission. So the sooner you do that, the better. Right. Well, I've warmed everyone up. Uh, you're relaxed. I'm relaxed. Can I ask uh, a hard question or two? You bet, Glenn. No hard right. questions. Only Kelly honest Ann. ones. <laughs> Kelly Ann asks, what's the relationship between Wiser the coaching app and Wiser the lending company? Does the app advertise the loans and or use data collected from its coaching clients to target uh, loans? And before you answer that, when I first uh, saw the brief about this Wiser Today app and all this, I was like, awesome. We're talking about how to change habits to do better with our money. And then I'm like, hang on, I know Wiser have debt products and you know, I don't like promoting debt products uh, because I think you can live a fulfilling life without consumer debt, without car loans and all that. And that's not for now. But the thing and the reason why I wanted to go down this road is because it is a paid app and it's not wiser creating this as a lead gen for debt products. It's completely separate from what I can see. And the skeptic in me, when I tried it myself, the goals that I tried was about how to get out of debt, thinking that the app would lead me 
to 100% debt consolidation with Wiser. And guess what? It didn't. And I'm like, wow, they actually are doing this for genuine reasons. <laughs> like, you know, I was just like, surely they're just wanting to pump people into to more debt. Oh, and no. This is a, 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 a lead gen. But it's a paid app. It's a real thing. And I've got confidence having um, this app advertised in our community because it's not just a lead gen. Uh, we've had companies that have wanted to advertise free money and budgeting apps on this podcast. But when I drill down and say, well, how does the app make money? They say, well, we harvest the data and all that. It's like, okay, well, that's not that's a non-starter, but this stands up commercially on its own. So that was my skepticism. I put my own skepticism to the test in the app and I was wrong about the app. Well, thank you, Glenn. I I, I appreciate that. No, we're So do you share data? Yeah. <laughs> Are you no, coaching people no, for no. debt products? <laughs> No, no. Like this app exists to help people improve their money, which is about everyday habits mm. and brains and psychology. So it does not exist to advertise loans. Mm. There are a lot of other money apps that provide free services and some of them, you know, they are valuable. Like they've yeah. got comparison apps, you know, there's banking apps, other finance apps, but they're free because they monetize their customer base by presenting offers on a lot of different financial products. Yeah. And that is a totally different business model. And that's a business model that I won't promote on this podcast. And thank you for letting me put this question to you because it's an awkward question and you've probably done a heap of different podcasts and interviews and you might not have ever had this question before. So thank you. No, I don't for, think um, it's an awkward question. I think it's actually essential because like when people think about the financial industry, the financial sector, they're thinking of banks and finance companies that provide traditional financial products like mortgages, loans, savings, you know, investment products, mm. like financial products, right? And we really want to be disruptors and a different kind of role model so that when people think of a finance company, there's like a different model. There's just something else that's different. Mm. And we fundamentally just believe you have to serve the deeper human needs, which mm. is true financial well-being and health, which means you cannot focus on money products and dollars and cents because that's beside the point. Mm. And, you know, I don't want to hide the fact that Wiser also has loans. I mean, mm. our loans have helped a lot of Aussies actually save money because debt consolidation, um, simplifying your debt, taking high interest rate debt like credit cards and you know, turning that into one low interest rate debt and paying it off sooner, like that's good for you. But it's not enough. We realize it's not nearly enough, right? Because it's not financial products, but it's everyday behaviors that have an influence on our level of money stress. So mm. real life stress and well-being, how we use money in real life, how we feel about it every day, you know, that's what money, the dollar and cents is actually used for. And so that's the problem that we're trying to address, which we see there's a massive gap no one else is addressing. And that's a, kind of the, the reason why we've built Wiser today. And that's why we also have the business model behind it that we do, which is that, you know, you got to make an investment in yourself and believe that you and your financial future are worth spending five minutes a day on and worth a little bit of personal investment to actually help yourself figure out what you want mm. and what, what to do about it, how to align your money to what matters to you. So to be clear you're not using the data to target users to get debt. Correct. Okay. Do you want to know something weird? 
when I tried the app with my skeptical hat on, you know, and it did the like, all right, so you, we've answered all this. Here are some things that you could consider. It was like, there was like three or four different options around the debt thing. And it's like um, debt consolidation could be an option. It was so funny. I'm like, freaking hell, why don't you guys just advertise your own debt consolidation loan in the app? <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> I was like going, this is a really good opportunity for, for business for you guys. So it really, to credit to like, Wiser, how you have separated this app. I was like expecting a link over, <laughs> but it wasn't there. So yeah, I I think that if it turns out debt consolidation would help you, it's a great thing to explore, right? Mm. But the purpose of the app is not to sell loans, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just not the issue. The issue is habits. <laughs> Do you want to know something wild? Like, you know, we've been talking about habits and behaviors and all that, and I, I've pretty much been against debt consolidation and just go with me for a second because a lot of the time when people do debt consolidation, they think they've done something and but they actually haven't. They've just moved the debt and they haven't actually changed their underlying habits and behaviours. But if you get to the point where you got your spending under control, you got your habits and behaviours under, under control and the shoe fits for actually wrapping that debt up and there's a clear savings and you get in and get it done, that's probably okay. But don't just go and get a debt consolidation loan and get on with your life and not change your habits and behaviors. Or what happens is, because I've coached thousands of people on the podcast and then hundreds face-to-face as a financial advisor, the people that do debt consolidation without changing the underlying habits and behaviors wake up in another three, four years and they've got another loan and then they're just reconsolidating, like nothing actually changes. They just move the debt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've nailed it, right? Which is no financial product, even helpful ones, is going to change your life as much as working on your life will. And, mm-hmm. you know, working on money in the context of your life. And that's why we built this app. Totally. To focus on the real what's really going to move the needle. Now, Lily, before we uh, put a button in this episode, and thanks for letting us go a little bit over time. I think I did tell you 45 minutes, but it's been a great chat. Is there anything that you'd like to say or that's on your mind that I have not asked you about behaviors with money, about the app, about anything? And then I will just say to everyone again, after the we end the episode, we'll come back for an after party and um, I'll ask Lily about her own story, but anything else just in the context of what we've talked about that you want to add? Yeah, I think, you know, this idea of working on your habits and behavior when it comes to money is actually the most important thing you can do for yourself and your money. It's really fresh. It's new because we're just not taught to think like that, right? And so, you know, I'd love, how do we start a conversation in the culture where we're just moving the conversation away from financial products and dollars and cents and moving the conversation towards, okay, but how are we using money in real life? You know, what are the thoughts and emotions and behaviors? And how do we match the two better? Like, how do you think we can spread that conversation so that we're actually having conversations about what's important? rather than all the other stuff. Mm. 
Yeah. And I think that goes back down to those bedrock of your values in life, right? Like if you value being around your partner, well, guess what? If they're doing FIFO job for the next 30 years and they're away two weeks at a time, might not work longer term. I don't know. It just might be a bit crazy. If you value nice clothes and you spend money on nice clothes at the sake of not spending money on, I don't know, pick something else, a nice dining room table, like, you know, you can't have it all. And I think as we get older and mature and understand our natural values in life, let our values be our true north. Yeah, I I really agree with you. But I guess I just feel that it's not natural to stumble upon your values. It's not so clear, you know? Mm -hmm. And also just knowing your values is still not enough for behavior change. It's not because our brains are designed to be on autopilot, right? Mm -hmm. And they're designed to make change hard. So you've got to really work with the way your brain wants to change, which is building one neural pathway at a time and needs to end in a positive feeling for it to be repeated. Mm. And so, you know, why we really want as many Aussies to just try that because it's an accountability buddy that makes it just easier to do this Mm. instead of trying to do it on your own, which does not work. Um, It's very hard to do. And I think especially on things like how do you get on the same page with your partner if you're not on the same page? How do you manage money as a parent in the context of your family? You know, do you understand the psychology of parenting, like your own psychology and parenting, how it affects your money behaviors. I think, you know, given that we're so busy and we're so kind of overwhelmed with everyday life and rushing around all the time, you know, most of us barely have five minutes a day. And I think what I want to say to the community is that, you know, fixing your money does not have to be hard, you know, and you can do it while understanding that it's just not a linear path, right? Life is not, an improvement's not a linear path. Like, like for example, we designed this app knowing that you're going to have days where you're just too busy even to do your five minutes, right? You're too busy. You're not going to do your five minutes. You forget. And that's normal and okay and expected because change is not linear. You've mm. got to work with real life, not against it. And so, yep. sorry, just on that, like, could you say if someone did try the app, it's like maybe the first habit or behavior change would be to try and set the habit that you actually do the app at the same time every day, whether it's um, as soon as you get up in the morning and James Clear talks about habit stackings, like, all right, I brush my teeth, then I go and sit down at the kitchen table, do the app for five minutes, then I go make my coffee or I sit down, do the app with a coffee. Like, do you think that would be a fair thing to say, focus on the habit of actually trying to carve out that five minutes a day first. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we definitely start setting you up to do that. But but while also starting to help you notice black and white thinking, that makes it difficult because black and white thinking is like, oh, I forgot. I fell off the wagon. It's not going to work for me. I give up. You know, very typical. Um, it gets in the way of change and, and especially behavior change. Mm. And so... It is about building this little habit, but not being religious about it, right? Mm. Because you are going to forget and that's normal and that's okay. And one last question, 
Was there anything around the psychology of actually not making it a free app? Because you could have made a free app and put ads in it, right? Like that's easy. But like um, the buy-in factor that we've actually bought into this because like we don't do free events at our podcast. Like we don't do a free live show or anything like that because I want people to buy in and own the decision and, you know, want to commit to it. Yeah. I mean, do you like ads? I hate ads and I would pay, exactly. I'm, about to, I'm about to pay $8 a month for Twitter verification to get half <laughs> as many ads. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Business model built on ads. We don't love it. Like uh, mm. as a human, it's like, does that bring you joy? You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you hit it on the spot, which is it is important to have skin in the game for behavior change, mm. right? It is important. But we also need to understand skin in the game is not enough. Like mm. we can pay for a gym membership and then not use it like so many of us have, but skin in the game is part of the motivation equation, even though it's not enough alone for someone to really start getting the benefit. It's the skin in the game plus the fact that we've deliberately made it easy and only five minutes a day and that we're trying to, you know, give you insight about your psychology, get you curious, get you engaged, help you form a new mini habit of using this app as part of your daily routine in a way that feels like self-care feels good. And then people start seeing and really feeling the change and see their savings growing, see their habits changing, notice their thoughts changing. And that's when it becomes powerful. And so there, you know, it's very deliberate what the business model is. And our goal, because we're purpose driven, it's to help make this available to as many people as possible. And that's why we've priced it to be. It does cost money, but it's still less than a coffee a week. And our users are saving way, way more once they start using it. And they're getting so much more value out of it. And it's not just money value. I mean, we'd love to make it free. Mm. And actually, I do want to say to the community, if you really need financial support, you can write us and we'll help you find a solution. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, but obviously like we created this so millions of people can use it. And Mm -hmm. so it can create a deep positive impact because we're trying to solve this big money stress problem in society. And we've dedicated ourselves to it. We've rebuilt this app five times just to try to get it right because behavior change is hard. And this money and psychology thing, you know, how do you apply the science of the brain and behavior change to money? It's never been done before and it's a tricky thing to do. And so we've spent years really trying to make it work and, and rebuilding it and rebuilding it and just committing ourselves to solving this in a deep way. And we just hope that, you know, people give it a try. Mm. Can I give a humble brag about the My Millennial Money community? Please, how, how please awesome do. They are. <laughs> so we're doing our live census and I know everyone, I was ending this episode like an hour ago, but whatever. Um, We've got our live census in market at the moment and a bit of a status progress. Uh, We asked this year for the first time so we can measure it next year. Since January 2022, have you had anxiety or mental health problems caused by your personal financial situation? Because we just want to know, like, is money making you clinically, or I don't know if that's the word, but is money making you depressed or anxious? And I think this is quite low in comparison to the broader community, but at the moment, only 23% of people have had money problems since the start of the year that has caused uh, mental health problems, which is awesome. And next year we can track it. And when we do the announcement in December with the data, that could change. But, you know, about 20, 23% of people 
um, are in a bit of a pinch or have been in a bit of a pinch. And then the humble brag part that I want to talk about, where are we here? It's around consumer debt. Do you have consumer debt in your life? So credit cards, personal loans, buy now, pay later. And this will blow your mind. 83% of respondents at the moment have zero consumer debt in the M3 community. That's phenomenal. It's just so amazing. And it's like, good on you, everyone. And hey, if you're, and then 6.5% have under $5,000. If you're not in the 82.9 or whatever it is, and it might change last year, it ended up being 75% when we really went to town. We've only had a few hundred complete it so far. But if you're not in that zero category, you're not there forever. You will be working on your personal habits and behaviors and perhaps paying down debt can be your next big goal. And yeah, I just want to say we've got such a wonderful community and you know, if 80% of you want to change your habits and behaviors about money, well, I've got a fair assumption that you can afford $3.80 a week to use a tool to do so. <laughs> well, it, it's an investment that should pay a lot more. But also I think the true investment, Glenn, is time in yourself. That's a true investment. Is it the 380 a week or is it the five minutes a day or, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be every day, but Mm. like actually being curious about yourself and saying, you know, my life is worth building to me. My, I'm interested in my own psychology. I want to understand my own brain so I can align activities to my happiness. And those activities cost money, right? Mm. Well, there you go. Lily Sussman, from Wiser. Thank you so much for joining us today and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Glenn. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Okay, we're here for the after party. I don't do many after parties with other people, but I wanted to today. Lily, can you tell us a little bit about your story? It was of particular interest to me when I read that you had suffered a, a, a brain injury. And, you know, I've been injured before. Uh, bones can be fixed really easily. You know, ligaments can be repaired, but I get scared when I hear the um, the brain injury words. So, What's your story? (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. It's a really, um, it's something that's shaped me so much. Uh, About five, a little over five years ago now, um, I was sitting on a flight from Toronto to LA and I was seated next to my three-year-old daughter 
and um, someone was putting something away on the overhead compartment and a duty-free bag slid out and happened to just fall on my head. And inside it was a extremely heavy bottle of maple syrup shaped like a maple leaf. And it was this huge kind of glass souvenir thing, very heavy. I know the, I know the one because out. I bought one once. <laughs> Yeah, you might recognize it. Anyone that's been to the Toronto airport, because um, my my partner is Canadian and from Toronto, and so uh, very familiar with the maple syrup souvenirs. Mm. And yeah, so I fell out and fell on my head, and gosh, it turned out to be um, a traumatic brain injury, uh, which took a couple weeks, as it can take a couple weeks for neurons to kind of die, and then. Um, one day I just woke up and I realized I couldn't read. And then I sort of couldn't take in information. Like I, I found it very difficult to listen to. I couldn't listen to a podcast or really anything. I just, it wouldn't really go in. And I couldn't judge how far away things were. So I couldn't go walk on the street anymore because, uh, I didn't know how close the cars were. Mm. And I just was really jumpy. Like I was just terrified and um, and a whole host of things. I mean, it really, it just did quite the number on my brain. And, you know, I had a toddler and obviously I immediately had to stop working and I didn't have income protection insurance. And I just thought, oh God, um, what's happened? And, you know, we're looking for answers and there really weren't any because our understanding of the brain um, without having, you know, a lot of functional MRIs, they couldn't really see what what had changed. They knew that, you know, neurochemically my brain had changed. A lot of the previous connections had been disrupted and, and died. And, but who knew if it was going to come back or when it was going to come back. So no one could really tell me anything. You know, these kind of injuries, they don't show up on an MRI or a scan. So um, I just sort of was in a vortex of, oh, my God, what happened? What happened to me? And, and am I going to be okay? And, of course, it didn't feel like okay. Um, and I had to go through a, a real um, multi-year journey of slow healing and self-transformation to make it. And through the course of that, I really learned a lot about the brain. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for is I actually have this deep knowledge based on um, lived experience of why the brain is deeply connected to the body mm. and the relationship between the brain and the body and what we think of as mental health, but it's actually just the entirety of the human and the human body with the different organs and brain, heart, et cetera. Um, so, you know, for example, I noticed around 7 p.m. every day, I would just kind of run out of brain energy and I didn't have the language to describe it at the time, but I just felt awful. I felt like the world was caving in around me and I felt really depressed and I had to start crying and it just happened like regularly, you know, at a certain time in the day. And, and couldn't understand why, you know. And it wasn't until I found a psychologist that specialized in brain injury that they were able to start help me track and understand what was going on my symptoms. And, you know, one of the things is that uh, your body processes cortisol either through sweating or crying. And my brain was not able to regulate cortisol. 
you know, that's one of the things that happened to it. So uh, I would have a buildup of, of cortisol over the day and then it had nowhere to go. So that's the stress thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I hadn't even done anything that day because I was unable to do anything. I just sat around. Um, but, but it just built up, right? Because my brain wasn't able to process it like a healthy brain. And so just things like that, I realized exactly how physical mental health is. And I understood there's doesn't make sense to have this divide between mind and body. It's actually just a physical organ like anything else. Mm -hmm. And the chemicals going through it have their own biology like anything else. And we put all of this effort into fitness and taking care of our bodies and our health. And we know very little about and don't take care of our brain when actually that's just the center of our experience and our happiness. So through that, I kind of realized how topsy-turvy our world is because our society and our systems and um, growth capitalism and all the products and services we've been creating, they're actually not built on a deep understanding of the brain. And so they're not really built in a human-centric way as they should be. Mm. And that's also why we've decided to try to build money and financial services in a way that is human-centric, that is actually built upon an understanding of the brain and how it works and what's the relationship between your physical body, your emotions, your thoughts, your behavior, and then the consequences of your behavior. What's the relationship between all those things? Can I ask you like maybe a really dumb question? No dumb questions. Okay. There are no dumb questions. When the maple syrup hit your head, like did it actually like really, really, really hurt? Or like what like at the time did you think that's a that's a really big whack? <laughs> it really, really hurt. Yeah. Uh, it so hurt it's like, very, very imp- like huge. It really hurt. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but the thing is, I didn't lose consciousness. Mm. And so I didn't realize, I thought, you know, I, I, it didn't occur to me that it was a brain injury. I thought, you know, I bumped my head and I did was going to have a really Did it cut the skin and bruise. did it bleed or anything? It was just an egghead. Yeah, it didn't bleed. It just yeah. was swollen. Yeah, it just was swollen. And, and honestly, I just thought like I'd have a really bad bruise. It was kind of surprising that it took a bit of time for it to settle in. And how long, like... How long from, I guess, Maplegate till you were like 100% uh, recovered or what's that recovery journey like for you right now? Anytime you're changing the brain, you're rebuilding it, you're changing, you're building new neural pathways, it's not linear. Yeah. And so it's not like you just get better and then you just stay better. Like you get better and gets worse again, mm. you know, and then it gets better again. And, but each time you get better, it's a little bit higher up. And it's taken me, um, you know, all these years. And I I would say I'm still recovering. Uh, Wiser is the first job that I've had where I'm working full time again. And I still have um, weeks where I might have an unexplained fever, like a neurogenic fever. I can't, and I still wear earplugs um, in bars and loud places. Mm. Um, My family is very careful not to scratch cutlery when mm. we're cutting stuff uh, on the plate. You know, there's just, there's little things that um, 
that bother me. How's your spatial awareness now? Uh, it's it's that it's recovered. Yeah, yeah, I'm so. I mean, almost everything has recovered, and the thing is, you're not exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, you you really rebuilt or built new neural pathways, and so I've been so privileged in a way um, that this has forced me to really look at my life and figure out. Because, you know, I when I lost my brain, I was sliding into a spiral of depression, anxiety, as you can imagine, you know, just terrible fear and feeling like my life was never going to be okay again. And it was like, I had been so identified with my ego and thinking that, you know, my brain was me. And if I lost my brain and I wasn't going to be you know, capable or smart anymore, like, who was I going to be? And would I have any value as a person? And it was such a struggle, because, you know, I couldn't even parent, right? And I had a toddler. But I actually realized over the course of years and, and rebuilding my identity that I realized I'd be okay, you know, even if my brain didn't recover, like I didn't have to be so identified with being smart or using my brain in this way for work. Like I realized that what I had that was deeper and more meaningful to me and more powerful was actually the love in my heart. And that this level of struggle has actually helped me cultivate the empathy and the understanding of struggle that makes it easier to identify with everyone that struggles, which is everyone in mm. some way or form, you know, mm. in different ways, in different chapters in life. And I felt so much more connected to the heart and the struggle of everyone else. And that feeling of connection actually gave me a lot of power. I was like, you know, maybe I can't go back to being, you know, the person that I used to be with, with, kind of the academic brain, but that's not actually what makes me me, you know, and it gave me purpose to say, you know, my purpose is actually healing and transformation and making the world a better place based on actually understanding the brain and the human as um, the kind of ecological and biological animal that we actually are. Mm, the bag of chemicals, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're you know um, part of the primates, and yeah. we have evolved a brain to do the things it does, and it's built in the way it is. And you got to design for that, and you know, live a life that's actually helpful to that, rather than trying to f make it fit into societal boxes that have not been designed to make us happy. And one follow-up question, and I will let you go, and thank you so much for staying on for like this amount of time. Um, when you found that you were having all these issues, obviously medical professionals were like, you need to take time off work and quote unquote, like you could not work his sick day certificate for like two weeks or as long as you need, right? Like it was, it was that bad that it was impacting your ability to earn an income? Oh yeah. I mean, there's no question of working. Mm. I mean, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do anything. Glad. Yeah. And, that, and I, <laughs> yeah. I think I, 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 it was kind of a loaded question because I just want to use this example. Like, 
this is a like if you did have an income insurance policy and many of us do like that would have been an actual claimable event and a lot of people might not think that because it's not a visible injury right you're walking down the street people don't know that your spatial awareness is out and that you randomly feel stressed in the afternoon but if I'm walking down the street and my leg's in plaster, well, that's actually a, a visible injury, right? So, yeah, I guess all I'm saying is everyone, if you're listening, while you're younger and healthy, get some protection in your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had had it. Um, and, and now I, you know, would never be a candidate. They would never insure someone who previously had a brain injury. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it's okay. I think that... End all be all isn't, do you have the right constellation of financial products, mm. right? The end all be all is, is you, is, are you managing money in a way that is aligned to your values in your life? And if so, a lot of things will go right for you. Mm. Can I make one final point just from listening to you? What's happened to you and the process at some point along, and I don't know if it, you can tell me if, if it was your natural vibe or whatnot, but at some point you've decided that I don't have a victim mentality now. Like I couldn't control this injury. It happened, life happens, but I'm actually, I need to just lean into this and this is my new norm for however long it is. And then maybe there are some lasting changes. Yeah, it's, I think it's, um, it was very important for me to flip the narrative from why did this happen to me? I'll never be okay again. How could this have happened? And and I guess as you describe it as a victim narrative to, to a different mindset. And my psychologist uh, who specialized in brain injury helped me so much with gradually developing a new mindset around a new script that was actually being noticing and being grateful and thinking everything's a bonus. Like yesterday, like accepting my baseline, like, okay, my baseline is yesterday. I sat on the couch all day. Today I made lunch. And in the beginning I was very resistant to that because I thought, don't tell me that making lunch is some kind of heroic thing that I should be celebrating. You know, I've just lost everything. And she was like, well, you couldn't make lunch yesterday and you did. So that's a bonus, you know? And in the beginning I resisted that, but then it turned out she was absolutely right. And I started trying it on for size, this everything is a bonus perspective. And I started tracking what I could do today versus yesterday and the little things. And it turned out that, yeah, I was able to do little things more and more. As I said, it's not linear, you know, maybe last week wasn't as good, but um, kind of accepting that and not expecting the world of the recovery and just supporting myself more and, and having more of a everything's a bonus and gratitude mindset. It is something that um, takes practice, you know, and any change takes practice. Like we all want fast results. We just want to sort everything out. We want a quick tip. But again, that's not how the brain actually yeah. <laughs> works over time. So it does take that kind of consistent, slow, you know, nonlinear meandering journey upwards. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I can, you know, chew the fat around this stuff for ages. Like I, I know someone who's 
had an injury and it altered their life and all that stuff. And it, it actually, I think in a negative way became their identity. And they even got like a, a tattoo, like such is life, like literally such is life tattoo. Like it became their identity that I am now a nobody and am no one because of this thing that's happened to me. So, I mean, yeah, life's complex and tough and I don't pretend to, you know, understand it. And if you're listening and you disagree with anything I say, that's awesome. I probably disagree a lot of the time as well with what I say, but yeah, I just stark um, contrast, right? Between something that's happened to us out of our control and how we respond to it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I want to say that when it comes to money specifically, things happen to us that are totally not our fault, you know, and, and out of our control, like like separation, you know, job loss, um, getting sick, you know, all this kind of stuff happens. Um, macroeconomic crisis, COVID, you know, all this stuff that we don't control and it happens to us. And all we can do is decide how we're going to respond to it. And it's, no one's helping us with that. You know, it's not taught in schools. And how are we meant to, you know, how you respond to it is just how your brain's always responded to it. And, you know, what, role models did you have and how was your brain shaped, you know, by your experiences as a child? And none of that's our fault. And we just don't have kind of the tools and support and, but they should be out there and they, we should be lifting the stigma, not expecting ourselves to deal with all this perfectly ourselves. I mean, if I hadn't had the support of found the right, you know, doctor, you know, I initially, I had neurologists and doctors who weren't able to help me. But then I found, you know, doctors who did emotionally connect with me more and was able to help me understand more of what was going on and how I could support myself to recover more. Mm. And I think if I hadn't had that help, I wouldn't be here today, you know, because no one's an island. We all need each other. We all need the support. And that's why... You know, I think there's no shame in not having your money sorted out or not getting to your goals as fast as you want to. Like all mm. this stuff is outside our control, you know, and, and there haven't been the solutions there. Yeah. And you could arrive, you could have, yeah, like your health, you may arrive at a position that was out of your control, like an accident or with your money, you're here because something happened. You were in a, a relationship that shut down and you had to restart. You got exactly. fired. You um, were in an accident and you did you knew you didn't have insurance on the car and that was it. You overlooked renewing the policy and you in debt 20 grand because like life happens and we're here now and what are we going to do about it? But uh, we might leave it there, Lily. Thank you so much for having a chat with us on uh, My Millennial Money and hanging around for an after party. Thanks so much, Glenn. Love, love our chat and uh, so important. And I'm just so grateful that... uh, you're opening up these conversations so we can spread the word about it and build the community that is interested in moving the needle in a deep way. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 